Welcome to another episode of the Trusted Advisor podcast and video series powered by the Retail Solution Providers Association. Our goal on the pod is to accelerate the success of today's and tomorrow's leaders in the retail IT industry. I'm Jim Roddy, back with you again. Thank you so much for joining us. This is a special quick take episode of the pod where for about 20 or 25 minutes, we're going to feature an RSPA member who will speak at Retail Now 2023. If you're not familiar with Retail Now, it's the Retail IT Channel's number one trade show, education conference and networking event scheduled this year for July 30th or August 1st at the Gaylord Palms in Orlando. Retail Now will feature five education tracks and more than 20 education sessions, including the one we'll discuss today, five cheat codes on how to lead from one VAR ISV CEO to another, and our special guest is that one CEO, Rick Fueling of Wright Enterprises and Cloud Retailer in Sartell, Minnesota. Rick, welcome back to the podcast. Good to be here, Jim. Yeah, always a pleasure to talk with you. And so for our avid listeners, this is Rick's third appearance. He appeared in episode one with David Gosman of HP talking about the future of the Retail AG channel, episode 38 with Bruce Mann of CRS, and it was what VARs and ISVs can learn from well-run sports team. And that was a hard-fought battle of channel stars. We won't tell you who won if you want to go back and listen and see who won. But Rick, you're the only one appearing with us today. And so we have a trophy for you. You're a guaranteed winner. So the folks on our YouTube channel can see we have this nice trophy already for you. So congratulations appearing on the pod today. I, I need that win after that last podcast. So thank you, Jim. Certainly, certainly. I know you've been carrying that around uh, with bitterness, which I appreciate the level uh, of it as well. So, all right, well, let's, for those those who don't know you well, Rick, and so our listeners and viewers understand your perspective, can you tell us at a high level how your business started? Like, how did Wright come about as a VAR? And then how have you adapted to become an ISV VAR hybrid serving in the liquor vertical? Yeah, so I started the business at about 22. I was working in my my family's business, Westside Liquor, a chain of eight beautiful liquor stores up here in Minnesota. And um, I was tasked by my father to get a point of sale system in place. And they had they kind of started that a couple of years prior and hadn't gotten the traction they wanted. Um, and uh, well, I wasn't exactly satisfied with what was the technology that was there and Microsoft had just bought SMS, kind of a shining star in the point of sale industry. And I I tried to I tried to purchase that from Microsoft and they let me know that there were no resellers in Minnesota yet and they were actively working on that. And so a little light bulb went off in my head and I thought, you know, worst case scenario, I could get a good deal for my family. So I was uh I, I got three or four Microsoft certifications so that I could become a reseller. I hired one of my buddies who was getting a master's degree in computer science. And we ended up implementing that system and we customized it for Westside Liquor. And so we we actually made it, there was a new law in the state of Minnesota where if you sold a keg of beer, it had to be registered with the state. And I worked at the store uh, right next to the university I was attending. And we were selling, you know, back back in the day, kegs were pretty popular. And, uh, you know, we had people in line on Friday night filling out paperwork. It was miserable. So we made it so that you could swipe a driver's license. It would fill out a form on screen. You know, it took that 15-minute process, turned it into 30 seconds. So pretty cutting edge for back in the day. And um, Microsoft called, and they wanted to know how it was going as a new reseller. And I 
told them the story and they wanted to publish a case study. And so that's when I turned it into a business. And so if you were a liquor store in the United States and you went to Microsoft for information, we were the, we were the guys. So that's how it started, Jim. That's fabulous. That's tremendous. So there's a lot I want to follow up uh, on that story, but we'll do that later because first we want to get to the topic of this episode, which is your cheat codes. Now, since this is only a quick take preview of your retail now session, we're not going to tackle all five of your leadership cheat codes. What's one that you would like to share with our audience today? And then we'll dive into that one and leave the other four for folks to uh, check out at retail now. Yeah, so uh, I, I would say this is kind of an appetizer. Um, you know, uh, Jim, you're asking about some topics we could go through and like the ethics of persuasion. So uh, I'm gonna start with a quick um, quote from John Maxwell. You know John Maxwell, Jim? I do, yep, yep, leadership uh, quote, like 21 laws of leadership or things like that. Irrefutable laws. Irrefutable, yeah. there we go, <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Uh, uh, you know, super leadership guru. So he says that everything rises and falls on leadership. And the longer I do this, the more I, I believe that's true. If, you, if you're leading a team uh, and the, the, the second piece of that is leadership is influence, nothing more, nothing less. Um, so a couple of the topics we're going to talk about during my session revolve around persuasion and influence um and i i think you know uh i think it can get a bad rap right manipulation um i think there can be a negative connotation so that's why i thought it'd be good to talk about the ethics of persuasion um and i i guess my conclusion at this point in my life is that you know doing it ethically uh that it is the cheat code doing it ethically is the cheat code so i've never had more success in my life than when i was helping other people get what they wanted and, and doing a great job of that um you know and and when i say success i mean me getting what i want too so there's the cheat code if if we one of the things we're going to talk about during the um the session is I have this document called the art of the raise and it's a document our leadership team uses to evaluate um you know if we're going to give a raise to somebody on our team and the at the very top of that document is like this Venn diagram right it has two circles what's good for the individual and what's good for the team Mm -hmm. Right. And part of our hiring practices is to find people where there's as much of that overlap as possible. And there's this little arrow. And I'm going to I'm going to hand this out to the people who are there. I'll share the our actual document we use. Um, but there's a little arrow pointing to impact. And it's like at the top of those two circles where they meet is where people find thrilling, daunting and important to work. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if you can find that spot. Um, you know, uh, the, man, it's amazing what people will come do for themselves and do for, for the team and do for you at the same time. So there's my cheat code, Jim. Got it. So let's talk about a few of those specifics. So first, why do you bring up pay from, you know, when you talk about ethics of 
persuasion and doing that ethically, is it because, and it's interesting because we're going through the annual reviews right now uh, for the uh, RSPA for our team. We just ended our, our fiscal year. And so we're, you know, talking pay and all those things. Our document is called pay raise considerations. I adapted it from a couple of folks who I used to work for, Rick and Terry Peterson, and we adapted it from the publishing industry for our organization. But there are times where pay can seem like you're trying to convince a person why they should be happy with their pay. But I guess what I've kind of learned is if you can get everybody educated on pay and how it works, like you said, not just for them, but out in the industry in general, for the company, and that the uh, it's not being used to finance somebody's, you know, massive, you know, boat or lavish vacations, you know, or anything like that. It's not like only one person's benefiting from it. Is that why you bring up pay? Because if you have a straight conversation with somebody that they understand the business, they understand what goes into the pay as opposed to this, you know, who knows what happens, you know, why it was just you waving a magic wand and making a decision on a whim. Is that why you bring up pay and ethics of persuasion? Um, well, the, the so the 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 document, I guess, ha has that diagram which talks about alignment. You know, um, how can you have a conversation about about uh, almost anything else with somebody on your team if you're not if you if it doesn't start with how are they aligned with the team okay right that that's the center point of the thinking that should go into almost any conversation between yes. uh, people on the team so I guess there's that um, and you're you're right though that part of this is helping everybody think about what the organization and, and the people in it like do for each other. And so another thing that I, I, I don't know if I'll have time to get into it, but but um, another thing I'm considering talking about during my session is this conversation I have with people who join our team and our leadership team as well. And I'm kind of training people how to do this, but there's this conversation that I have with new people joining our team called, uh, that I call buy each other a beer, okay? And it frames the type of relationship that in a perfect world I'd like to have with the people on my team. And, um, uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's, about, it's about how to set up a situation with somebody so that um, it becomes who can do more for the other. Like uh, this, uh, in a lot of employee-employer relationships, it's like this tit-for-tat thing. Like, if you do for me, maybe yeah. I'll do for you. Right, transactional. And, yeah, Yeah, it's gross, you know, and, and I, <laughs> I get it. I mean, we're here. This is, people are trying to make money so that they can go home and do the things that they want to do with that. And same thing with the organization. But life is really short, Right. And, and again, like my conclusion is I've never had more success in my life than I was helping other people get what they wanted. Um, and, and so in a perfect world, it's like, how can we both do more for each other? And at the same time, this is a business, right? The profits during our um, quarterly strategy meetings that we have with everybody on our team, I've got this picture of a guy who appears to be stuck in a cave like you look at it and you feel anxious like instantly. And I just take a second to talk about how profit is like oxygen, right? For a business. Like if I, Jim, if I put you in a room and I locked you in there and I said, okay, you got 30 minutes worth of oxygen, I'll be back in 10. 
that's three times as much oxygen as you need, right? Mm -hmm. You should be fine with that, right? No, you'd be in a state of terror, right? <laughs> right, right. Um, and and that's 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 profits to a business, right? So, um, yeah. Got it. Also, yeah, the, uh, the Peterson's always called it the lifeblood of the business, right? Like you've got to have profits in order to keep things going. And if the team doesn't understand that, right, then they think, well, whatever's left over, you know, I mean, some people can misinterpret it uh, the different way. I was trained early on Mark Olson, another Minnesotan, of uh, retired uh, president of APG Cash Drawer. Uh, first book he recommended to me when I was going down the leadership journey um, was The Great Game of Business. And it talked about really having open book management with your employees and just having frank conversations like that's the way to do it. Don't try to manipulate anybody or, or dance around it. Can you talk about ethics of persuasion in sales? Because oftentimes people think the salesperson's coming and they're trying to trick somebody into buying. Can you talk about ethics of persuasion as a leader when you're leading a sales team? Uh, I actually find it quite interesting how much of the way we think about sales and marketing parallels to how we should be thinking about our internal teams. You know, whether it's going and recruiting people. Like, what are you willing to do to find a prospect, right? Why are, you, why are we not spending that much energy finding prospective employees and doing the same nurturing of your funnel, et cetera, et cetera? So the reason why I say that is because I, I believe that the ethics of selling in that circumstance is the same as what I just said about the people on your team. It's exactly the same. I mean, if you're not providing serious value to your customers every single day. I mean, you might be able to do a psychological trick and get somebody to buy something, um, but good luck to you, know, to you in terms of building your business. I mean, um, what will your team think about the, you and the organization if that's what they see the company doing during the sales process? Mm -hmm. How motivational is that? Um, and if I'm working there, it's not motivational at all. So. Got it. No, I appreciate that. And like, uh, it's funny cause you draw the parallel between hiring and sales because you and I have been talking hiring for many, many years and the approach isn't, let me tell you how awesome our organization is. It's let's talk about what you want to do. Let's get a whole bunch of data on the table about you and about us. And then we'll see if it works out or not. If you want to, great. If you don't, it's good that we find out now. And that's kind of from an artist pay standpoint, that's how we hire here now. And that's how we sell also, right? We try to understand what they're doing. We try to align our value, but we don't say and act now or else whatever, you know, we basically say, and if this fits, if you, do you think this is a fit? And if they do great, if they don't, then, okay, maybe it's not a fit or maybe we need to communicate a little bit better. But if somebody truly isn't a fit, we've told people, yeah, I don't really see that this is going to be the best community uh, for you. So is that how you view sales the same way? Because it's the same dealing with people. You're not trying to pull a fast one on them. You're having full disclosure, getting everything out on the table. And if it aligns, great. If it doesn't, you go find somebody else. Yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I, I don't think that there's anything wrong with uh, nudging people in the right direction. I, sure. I really, I really view a lot of this as, and, and I view you know, probably maybe my number one uh, priority right now is just to help my team think better, 
Um, you know, basically, uh, another way to say it would be, you know, help people avoid stupid mistakes and like just let them go do what they do. But I mean, a, a lot of persuasion is just helping people think better. They're still in the driver's seat. They're still making uh, making the call. Um, but are they thinking about it the right way? Uh, I love how you say that, because that is the case where instead of, hey, boss, hey, Mr. Owner, what should I do? But it's and you can answer the question of you should do these three things. But if you say, well, let's think through this together, that's going to be way more helpful to them. That's teaching somebody how to fish instead of just giving them a fish. Uh, one of the things that I'm going to talk about during the presentation is there's there's science out that volition is connected to uh, to decision making and, and and volition is connected to learning. It's like directly linked. And it's like if you're if you're bringing somebody, they come ask you, hey, what do you think? And you tell them, here's what you do. Ten years ago, I thought my um, my primary objective was to make decisions to keep things moving forward. And maybe then I needed to. Maybe that is what I needed to do. But I'm going to tell you, there's no faster way to get somebody to ask to, to come ask you another question than answering one right now. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and, and and I don't think that's very much. That's that's not fun work for people to do. And, and maybe it is for some people. But. Um, you know, core values and like, what kind of organization are you? Who do you want working? Who, who, what does your team look like? Right. And my team are a bunch of people that like to figure things out. They're yeah. creative. They're smart. They, they make it happen. They find joy in doing that. And so answering questions is uh, in opposition to enabling them to do what they want to do. Yes. Yeah. They come to you for an answer and you reply to them with a whole series of questions to help them think it through. That's You're going to get to a way better decision than what you know, making a snap decision off the top of your head, no matter what your title is. Fabulous. No, I love it. Looking forward to your looking forward to your presentation. Uh, before we go on and talk to Rick a little bit more, we want to pause to thank our sponsors who support the RSP community and make this podcast and video series possible. Our platinum sponsor is Blue Star. Our gold sponsors are CoCard, Heartland, ScantSource, and Star Micronics. To receive the benefits of an RSP membership or RSPA sponsorship, email membership at gorspa.org. That's membership at gorspa.org. I always think I don't give the website enough, but I'm thinking somebody could deduce it would be gorspa.org uh, from that. So, all right, I guess I'm just talking to myself now, Rick. Thanks for, for letting me uh, go on with that. So, okay, so thanks for talking about the cheat codes. Again, we don't want to cheat uh, and uh, get more into that, but I want to dive deeper into your organization transitioning from, like you said, stumbling into becoming a reseller, right? I guess I'll have to do that, right? Uh, you know, running these uh, family stores, transitioning from that VAR to become the ISV VAR hybrid. So was that a long-term plan or was it more that you saw a gap in the market from a software standpoint and then started filling it or was it something else altogether? Uh, we, so, we started to become really good at being resellers for Microsoft and kind of right when we right when we got our stride, Microsoft decided to change directions. They pivoted. They started moving towards large enterprise retailers. Yes. 
and, and small small businesses are our passion. You know, I grew up in a small business. I believe that they're super important to the democracy we have. I think that there is that there's a direct link, in my opinion. Uh, so they they pivoted. We started to follow a little bit. We didn't like where that was going, and so that was and and we had been in a small way at least writing code from day one. You know, luckily. Yeah. And, and and there was some long-term thinking in terms of how do you build a business that has like lasting value and having your own product is a pretty good way to do that. So that when we started to see the Microsoft uh, the writing on the wall with Microsoft, that's when we made the decision to build our own product. Got it. So instead of just modifying theirs, building and did you do something from the ground up or was it something pretty similar to and it was Microsoft RMS? Is that what the name was or you got it yeah okay yeah, yeah so talk about that uh, was it a whole di product uh, or did it was it very similar to what uh, the microsoft one was uh well in some ways it was uh, the software that we built we built from the ground up it you know microsoft rms was a good product for its day so there was a lot to be learned there so we took we tried to take all of the best from that and um you know do it and in the cases where there were places we, we didn't like, uh, we tried to do it better. Uh, and initially, um, we were targeting the same market that Microsoft was exiting. And they worked, with, you know, we had customers like the Kansas City Royals and the Dallas Stars and Tony Stewart Racing and, uh, you know, the National Rifle Association, like all these big names vis-a-vis -vis the power of the Microsoft brand, to be honest. Uh, and uh, that was actually one of, one of the biggest lessons that we learned in terms of finding successes in ISVs. We went too broad, way too broad. I'm okay. from the liquor industry. We've, we've always nailed it for liquor stores. Um, and that, that's another cheat code is the, the idea of, I'm calling niching down, right? Like just find the bullseye inside the bullseye for what you do well. Got it. Well, then it leads into my next question. I was going to say one or two important principles, you know, that you followed to make that transition successful. So one is focusing on the niche. And I guess, can you talk about that a little bit more? Did you test out different niches or it was just, hey, we came from, you know, the liquor background. We know when we went broad, let's go back to really what we know best. Is that really what it should be? What you know best should be your your niche. And if you're going to go broader, you got to know that really well at all. Uh, it wasn't really the result of testing. It was a result of the path of least resistance. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Our, our sales team is amazing at selling to these types of customers. Our product nails it for these types of customers. Uh, the number of the number of um, challenges you have to deal with when you're going wide. I mean, it, it, it's not like if if you doubled the number of, let's say, customer personas like liquor stores and gift shops, you don't double the number of problems you have in your business. You quadruple it. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we talked about how it took uh, six months for us to bring somebody onto our team and for them to really understand how to do their job. That's a big issue. Like, if bring a technology person on, it takes them six months before they're good at their job. Yeah. Uh, so, 
you know, one of our goals was how can we bring that down to three months? How can we bring it down to a month? You know, and that's an ongoing, that's, that's ongoing, right? But if you start asking questions, how do we scale? I mean, that was another big question, right? If you're going to build a big piece of software and you want to build value, scalability better be on your mind. And as funny as it sounds, like going smaller with your market allows you to go bigger. Mm-hmm. No, no doubt about it, because you will be known as the go-to person in that space. You're going to be able to go to all the shows, right? All the big events that are in that particular vertical, as opposed to, well, I can only go to half, you know, or, or anything of that nature. And so, again, you know, my history is in the publishing world. And so that's what we found out is we better pick our markets and we better be everywhere in those markets. Because if you try to cut it in half, somebody else who's nichier, they're going to win the deal. And I'm guessing you're finding that out now. You win more deals deals because you're the expert in that space as opposed to these folks who are just they have, you know, slicker marketing or something of that nature. We're the guys. Yeah. Uh what's been most difficult in the transition? Like what do you look back on and say, man, I sure as heck would have done that differently as you're, you know, reflecting on that transition? Uh the answer of what we did right is also the answer is also the answer to the question, what did we do wrong? Right. It was okay. like going wide and chasing shiny objects, basically. You know, we you have a big deal in front of you and um what do we what do we need to do to to close that deal, right? And if it's not if it's not it, you can spend a lot of money, time and energy and emotion quickly, you know, following something. And in in many cases we close the deal, but it 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 we're still chasing a paycheck, right? When I first started, um you know, I was 22, I was a junior in college, I had a 2-year-old son, I my dad got a credit card for me when I was 14 so he could buy booze online so he could go to <laughs> the House of uh, Representatives here in Minnesota and talk about the shipping laws. Like he did it to prove a point. Uh, but I had a great credit score at the age of 22. I got a $75,000 credit card that had 18 months, 0% interest, right? Like you can imagine my mind state you know, at 22 with $75,000 worth of debt that better get paid at 18. Um, and I'm still recovering from that, right? And, that, sure. uh, uh, and so, you know, chasing, chasing that paycheck, chasing that deal, right? Um, when you're first starting, you know, I guess I don't know any better way, but you got to grow you, there's an opportunity to grow out of that, right? And so those shiny objects, those hurt. Yeah, because they're just dis- covered with scars, Jim, everywhere. <laughs> but they're distractions. They seem good at the moment, but then you realize you're going away from your core. You know, I've always said any time that you're spending doing something, well, this is uh, just the, the blog post about escape velocity. When you want to do something new, right, you can get pulled back into you know, your current business. But if you just get distracted by one or two different things, you are neglecting your core business is really what it comes down to. And so that's why you've got to pick your markets wisely and not get distracted by what what could be great. So that's great advice. Rick, one more question for you. So I know you attend retail now every year, you know, you're speaking this year, um, but why do you attend that show every year? Networking, 100%. Uh, Going there and... um meeting with people who are working through the same challenges, 
uh, you are, you know, if, if there's somebody in the audience right now who is an ISV getting started, like this idea of shiny objects and whatnot, I'd assume that they just got punched in the guts a little bit because it's, I bet it happens to us all. So it's the networking, Jim. Got it. Yeah, you're able to learn not just networking you can sell to, but it's somebody you could learn from and because they might have walked a mile in, your, mile in your shoes before. So 100%. Awesome. Well, Rick, thank you very much. We will see you at Retail Now. And folks, that does it for this episode of The Trusted Advisor. We hope you enjoyed our discussion. If you did, be sure to subscribe to the RSP YouTube channel and The Trusted Advisor podcast so you never miss an episode. And be sure to register for Retail Now 2023. Again, that's July 30th through August 1st at the Gaylord Palms in Orlando. We have a diverse high-tech expo hall, plenty of networking opportunities like Rick mentioned, and several great education sessions, including five cheat codes on how to lead from one VAR ISV CEO to another. For all the details about the show, visit the show website at gorspay.org forward slash retail now. And before we go, thanks again to Rick Fueling for sharing his wisdom with us today. Thanks also to RSP Director of Marketing, Chris Arnold, for his production work, Joseph McDade for our music, and last but not least, thanks so much to you for listening. Our goal at the RSP is to accelerate the success of our members in the retail IT ecosystem by providing knowledge and connections. For more information, visit our website at gorspa.org. Thanks for listening and goodbye, everybody.